Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, and uh, we will be beginning in verse 18 today. Um, one of the strongest um, objections to Christianity, one of the strongest objections that you might meet when you're trying to persuade someone to believe, is the charge of hypocrisy. Right? When you, when you try to invite someone to come, they might say, well, oh, Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe you've heard that before. And of course, you may have also heard the response, which I think is uh, maybe not what you want to say to the person, but uh, it's true. <laughs> Come along and join us. One more won't hurt. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, Jesus, he condemned a lot of things in his ministry, in his teaching. And one of the things that he seemed to have the most impatience for was hypocrisy. So many times the the Pharisees and the Sadducees demonstrated their hypocrisy. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. The image there is of a tomb that, that looks all nice and clean and bright and everything, but we know what's on the inside of a tomb. It's just death and decay. Uh, and, and, and that's an image of hypocrisy. And uh, other things, you know, Jesus, uh, um, he, he didn't condemn anything more than he condemned hypocrisy. Is it true that the church is filled with hypocrites? Well, in one sense, um, in one sense, yes. We don't live up to the standard that we proclaim. And in another sense, no. It's not true. Because in order to become a Christian, we have to admit that we don't, we don't live up to the standard that God requires. We admit we are sinners. We have fallen short. We can't do it. The only one who could was Jesus. He was the one who lived perfectly, was never a hypocrite, and he died so that his death could be counted as the punishment for us. That is, he was the only one that wasn't, that was truly, perfectly flawless from any hypocrisy. All of us have moments, all of us have uh, imperfections that lead to some form of hypocrisy. So what do we do with that hypocrisy? When we have a standard that we hold, that we believe is right, and then we don't live up to it, what do we do? The only thing we can do is we throw it to the cross. We put it under the cross. We say, Jesus, count your blood to my hypocrisy. And we do everything we can to run from it. We repent. We turn the other way. We confess it. We confess it to Jesus and we confess it whenever someone points it out to us. When someone points it out to us, the right thing to do isn't to say, isn't to try to defend ourselves. 
and say, oh, no, no, you're wrong. I'm, I'm not hypocritic there, hypocritical there. No, the right thing to do is to say, you know what? I think you're right. I'm going to try to do better. Is our trying to do better going to do anything to make us more pleasing to God? No. But we want, we want to live in accordance with God's standard. It's our desire to be pleasing to Him. We'll never be able to do it perfectly. That's why we needed Jesus. Jesus here in this passage does something very strange. And He has a lesson for us in what He did. He, uh, he curses a fig tree. Seems very odd. When we think of Jesus, we don't think of Him putting a curse on something. It's very odd. It's recorded in both this passage and a passage in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and it's very odd. Let's, let's go ahead and read our, our text, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 21. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it convict us. Lord, may it open our eyes to see where we have been wrong, that we might repent and follow you more closely. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The text says, In the morning he was returning to the city and he became hungry. So this happened on a journey. He was returning to the city. Um, this actually, it probably introduces uh, a little bit of a problem. You see, Matthew and Mark, their accounts are slightly different. In Mark, you see that the beginning where Jesus curses this fig tree happens before the cleansing of the temple. We looked at the cleansing of the temple yes, last Sunday. So the, there was the, the cleansing of the temp, temple happened in the middle there in the Gospel of Mark. You have, he curses the fig tree, and then... He cleanses the temple, and then afterwards, they, they pass by this tree again, and Peter notices the tree and, and is amazed by the fact that it withered, just like, like from Jesus telling it to. And, and then he gives the lesson on faith. So Mark has it kind of divided into two parts on both sides of the cleansing of the temple. And here, Matthew has, uh, has it all taking place at once after the cleansing of the temple. I don't believe there's any contradiction here. They happened on the same day. And I think that, that that's clear. It happened on the same day. 
But the, the thing is, Matthew is probably just not concerned about the exact timing of it. He's just let, letting us know the details. They're, they're not really specific. And then Mark, he's being more specific, more details. So there's no contradiction here. It's just Mark has a, 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 a more specific chronology of what happened than Matthew does. Does that make sense? Okay. Mark also tells us it's not the season for figs. We don't see that in Matthew. And that's important knowledge for us to know. So here in the morning, he was returning to the city. Now let's imagine he was coming to the city to go cleanse the temple. And on his way there, it tells us he became hungry. I think we need to linger here in this. It's not necessarily the point of the overall text, but he became hungry. This is one phrase here that points to the fact that Jesus was fully human. Jesus was fully human. He was fully God and he was fully human. He became hungry just as we become hungry. This was important there were other, uh, there were, um, this one of the things the Gnostics uh, taught, the, the things that the, this, these Gnostic groups came about later on during the time of the apostles, and, and many of them denied that Jesus was actually a physical person, that, that, well, that he was actually really a human being. They thought, you know, how in the world could God become flesh, like John tells us in John 1.14. They think they, there was one group of Gnostics that, that uh, taught that um, Jesus was just appeared to be a human, that he was God that had a shell on, that he looked like human, but he wasn't really human. That's false teaching. The Bible teaches that Jesus was fully human, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered. He really did suffer. And he got hungry just like we do. That's an important point to make here. Jesus was fully human. If he was not fully human, he could not have been the mediator between God and man. He had to be both God and man to be our mediator, to be able to stand in our place. The only one who could take a human punishment was a human being. That's why Jesus had to become a human being. And no human being who was just a human being could have taken our punishment. Because we were all sinners. And none of us could have taken on the infinite wrath of God towards sin. Jesus was fully God because only God could take on that infinite wrath. All of that out of the fact that Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on, on it but only leaves. And this was probably not surprising to Jesus. I think he did this to teach a lesson. He was hungry. But he did this to teach a lesson. Mark tells us that it was not the season for figs. Um, in, in my reading... Uh, well, first of all, we, we, we need to recognize this was in the week before Passover, the week before the crucifixion. We had just had Palm Sunday. We had had the cleansing of the temple. 
And, and this took place in the week before the crucifixion, which takes place in the spring, right? We, we still celebrate Easter, Resurrection Day, following this Jewish calendar so that it corresponds with Passover, even today. That's why the date of Easter jumps around like it does. The season for figs to be ready would be about June. Now, I didn't know a lot about figs, but I found it as I, as I read and prepared for this. But figs, the leaves come on along with the fruit. So if there were leaves there, that would have meant there should have been fruit as well. So maybe as Jesus was walking along, because it wasn't time for figs, he, he sees all these different fig trees, but one of them in particular had, fruit, had uh, leaves on it. And that's why he goes to this one tree, because it has leaves on it. He goes up to the tree, and while it has all the evidence that it should have had figs, because it had all the leaves, it was maybe, uh, to personify it, it was boasting that it had fruit. And Jesus walks up to it, and as he looks through the leaves, there is no fruit there. It's a picture of hypocrisy. All the outward signs, yet there's no fruit. Like the Pharisees who would pray in the marketplace and, and do all their boasting about how great they are and how they, they tithe on mint and dill and all of those things, all of those outward signs that people could see, and yet on the inside, there was no fruit. That's hypocrisy. And when Jesus curses the fig tree, he says, and he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the tree withered at once. What we see here is a picture of the judgment that will come upon hypocrites. The judgment that will come upon hypocrites. People can put on a show. People can act all holy and try to convince people that they are believers. They can come to church. They can um, sing in the choir. We don't have a choir. They can do all the things and participate. They can teach Sunday school. They can be a pastor. They can have all the signs on the outside. But if there's no fruit, judgment is coming. What is the fruit? Well, first of all, I think the fruit is true faith. True faith in Jesus. Not not a faith in ourselves that, hey, we're good enough people. But a faith that says, Jesus paid it all. He paid for my sin. I can't do it. That's true faith. Another fruit we can look at is the fruits of the Spirit. Someone who 
recognizes their sin, throws themselves at Jesus' mercy, begins, becomes indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit produces fruit within us. And we get things like love. Love for the brethren. John, 1 John tells us so much about love for the brethren, love for one another as a church. That is one of the biggest signs that we are truly believers. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians. And it's not that we somehow try to work those things up to try to force them. But when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, when He has changed us, they, they just they come out. That's fruit. And as Jesus said to the fig tree, let no fruit come from you again. The hypocrite, the one who tries to force it, the one who, who tries to pretend, but there's no real change inside the heart. Judgment is coming. We'll move on to 20. There's a change in the text here. There's two different lessons that Jesus teaches through this passage. We've seen this, this warning about hypocrisy and the judgment that comes on hypocrisy, but also Jesus gives us a lesson on faith. He says, well, when the disciples saw, they marveled. How did the fig tree wither all at once? Now, that's, that is an amazing question. How did it wither all at once? He, he spoke it, and re, depending on whether you look at Matthew or Mark, regardless of, of that, in the same day that he said it, it was withered. That's amazing. Who could do such a thing? That is amazing. But that's probably not the question that I would be asking. I would probably be asking, why, Jesus? You're so graceful and meek and mild, but no, Jesus curses the fig tree. Well, Jesus came all meek and mild and laying in a manger. While he came to save sinners, the fact that Jesus cursed the fig tree also points to the fact that one day he's coming as a judge. Now is the time where he commands all people everywhere to repent. And we have this era to do that. But one of these days it will be too late. One of these days he will come and he will strike those who oppose him. How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. But who, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Here we have a promise to Jesus' disciples. This prayer was not made to everyone. This is not a, 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 a promise to unbelievers, that if they pray, they you know, he's saying to you, that's his disciples. I think that includes us. We are his disciples. To true believers, we have a promise that he will answer our prayers. 
If we have faith, he will answer our prayers. Now, there is a warning here that we need to heed. There are those who twist this text, who abuse this text, and who use it for their advantage. I will call it, uh, and it is, as it has been called, it is the health and wealth prosperity gospel. Name and claim it. Those who will say, well, if you're not living the prosperous life, then it's because you don't have enough faith. That is wicked. The prosperity gospel that says to people, well, if, if, if you're not living the life that you expect to live, if you're not living the best life now, it's just because you don't have enough faith. That's wicked. No, Jesus promised us that in this world we would have trouble. In this world, the world would hate us. What Jesus here is promising is not a promise that we will be able to ask for material blessings and be able to have whatever we want and have nice cars and a nice house and all of those things. That is not what Jesus is giving us a promise for. But he is promising us if we truly trust in him, if we truly have true faith that he has taken away our sins, that he has put himself in our place and taken our punishment, if we depend on him like a father, then whatever we need, He'll take care of. He answers our prayers. We're not given permission here to ask, ask selfishly to feed our motives. James tells us that. He tells us, James tells us, you have not because you ask not, and if you ask, you ask with wrong motives. We're not given license here to say, God, I want a brand new car. when we have faith, we will not lack. He will sustain us through whatever he gives us. Whatever circumstances he gives us, he will help us live through those. And when we pray, he hears us. Sometimes he may decide that what we are praying for is not the best. Sometimes we don't get the answer we want. We pray for our loved one to be healed and they die. That isn't because we didn't have enough faith. It isn't because uh, somehow, besides, that's not how faith works anyway. It's not like we can somehow conjure it up and scrunch up our face and make it look like we have faith. No, that's, that's more hypocrisy. <laughs> no. We trust that God will do good for us, regardless of what happens. And He will. So, when we recognize hypocrisy in our own lives, Run. 
Turn the other way. Repent. Because judgment is coming for the hypocrite. We also know, while we all have hypocrisy, trust in Jesus. Trust that He has paid it all. That He has taken away our sin at the cross. That is the ultimate cure for hypocrisy. Is we admit. We admit we are not good enough. Only Jesus was. And he paid it all. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church in Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.